are a W-2 capitalist. You are addressing the gap between your successful, fulfilling W-2 job and building wealth for your family through real estate investing. You are ready to earn, invest, repeat. Welcome to the W-2 Capitalist Podcast. Now, let's get to work. Here's your host, Jay Helms. So, all right, we are talking today about how to build explosive wealth, finding your sweet spot on the path to financial independence. So I'm going to share my screen and then I'm going to hit play on my slideshow and I'm using Keynote for the first time. So hopefully we'll make <laughs> and it I work. I preface so. everybody, hey, it's, it's live, right? So we're going, to, we're going to have some glitches. One thing I do want to ask you as questions come up, do you want me to interrupt you politely? Do you want to wait to the end for Q&A? How do you want to handle questions? I'm going to watch the Q&A in the chat box, okay. but save questions for the end because I did build in some time and I know that there are going to be questions because I'm going to cover a lot of stuff. Perfect. Okay. So, yeah. Cool. All right. So we are talking about how to build explosive wealth. And the reason that I chose this topic for this summit is because I know a lot of the people here are interested in investing in real estate, but why do we want to invest in real estate? It's to build wealth. So my experience and my success in creating financial independence from my, for myself is a combination of acquiring assets and property is one of those assets and utilizing the three paths that I'm going to talk about today. So if you haven't heard of financial impact, or if you don't know who I am, I'm Holly Morphew. I'm a financial coach and I'm the CEO and founder of financial impact. And we help people build wealth using a simple system and eight personal practices that create an abundant mindset. And mindset is a huge piece in building wealth because it's a journey. And we'll get into that here in a minute. So how did I meet Jay? I think Jay and I met in a Facebook group and it was probably a passive income Facebook group or a real estate investing group. And I loved the idea of what is a W-2 capitalist. For me, this is like, this is the quintessential path to building wealth because my parents were a W-2 capitalist couple. And I think I learned a lot about money from kind of watching the way my parents manage their money together. And so what I mean is that my dad was a franchise owner. So he owned and operated three franchises throughout his whole life. And he got a paycheck. So he had kind of the steady Eddie income while my mom was the dreamer. And she was the person who wanted to take big risks. She didn't earn money on a regular basis, but when she did earn money, it came in chunks. So she, she was the one who invested in property. And I really thought about that as I thought about how I wanted to create a life for myself. Like, what did I really want my life to look like? And I knew that financial independence was something that I wanted. And so I did all of the things that we're taught to do, right? So I went to school, I got good grades, I went to college, and I got a good job. 
And what I found is that life isn't like the brochure. So I moved to Boston after I graduated from college and I got a great job and I worked really hard. And for all of the money that I was earning, I felt like I was never going to be able to get my start in life in the way that I wanted to. I knew that I wanted to buy property. I knew I wouldn't be able to do it in Boston. And I learned that pretty early on. I was selling real estate there and to buy one bedroom condo or studio apartment, it'd be $350,000 at that time. Now this is in the early 2000s. So that was the first thing that I discovered when I moved to Boston in my path to financial independence is that life isn't like the brochure. And the second thing is, is that I got really sick when I was living in Boston. And this was at a time when health insurance didn't have to have a prescription writer. So my health insurance did not cover my medication. And so for six months, I paid for my medication on credit cards. And after six months of $5,000 a month, I decided to move home because I didn't think that charging my groceries and my gas on a credit card was going to help me get to financial independence. So it was the best decision that I made at the time to move back home and live with my parents because I was able to heal myself, but I was also able to get to a point where I could start working again. And that was huge for me because once I started working, I saved the money that I was earning. So instead of increasing my lifestyle, you've probably heard of lifestyle creep, and we're going to talk about this in a minute. But I just continued in my lifestyle, my current lifestyle, and saved my money, and I bought a house. And as soon as I did that, I got roommates. And now we call this house hacking, but at the time, we didn't call it then. That We didn't call it that. So I got roommates. They're helping me pay my mortgage, and I'm thinking, wow, this is a really awesome way to continue to build equity in my home and have a little bit more cash flow, which is a really good thing for me because at the time I was working again, 70 hours a week and realized that all of the money that was flowing into my accounts was leaving just as fast. Now you can imagine that I came home from Boston with about $30,000 in credit card debt at the time. But what I wanted to do to give back to the community was help others learn how powerful it is to start saving when you're young and to buy property. And so I started teaching personal finance through Rotary International as a service project. And it was a total success. What I found is that the parents of my students were asking me if they could sit in on my high school money workshops. And that's when it occurred to me that everyone needs financial education because we don't teach it in school. And, you know, in my family, we talked about money at the dinner table. You know, my mom would take real estate calls and we'd hear the way she would talk to people on the phone. My dad would talk about business. He would talk about his day. And so money was a very comfortable conversation for me. And so because it's something that is sort of uncomfortable and taboo, I realized there's not a safe place to talk about money. And when we're not getting financial education, what happens is most people 
start out on the wrong foot with money because there's shame around it. People are afraid to ask. And we create these habits that sort of stay with us throughout all of life. And it's not really until we get into our 30s and our 40s when it's like, okay, wait, I have retirement at some point. I know I don't want to work forever. I need some money in the bank so I can take a vacation or have different choices in life. And what is the pathway to getting there? Like, how do I actually create financial independence? Because no one teaches us how to manage money, much less how to build wealth. And it truly is a simple system. So we're going to jump into that. And we're going to talk about the three ways to build wealth. The first one is financial capability. This is where we go wrong right out of the gate, at least in the United States, because we're not teaching people how to manage money, what accounts they need, and how much to save, how much to put away for retirement, how to spend smart is another huge thing that a lot of people come to me for help with is just making plenty of money, but not really knowing how to spend it and how to keep up with it. Second thing is asset acquisition. Okay. So buying things that go up in value over time. And then finally, having an abundant mindset. These are the three ways to achieve wealth. So what I want to mention is that there are three different ways that I'm going to talk about to achieve wealth, but you're going to get there in the way that is the most comfortable for you based on where you are today. And I call it your sweet spot, because if you've ever played a racket sport, tennis, ping pong, paddle tennis, you know that there's that sweet spot on your racket when you make contact with the ball, and that's your sweet spot. And so wherever it is that you can create some comfort in the way that you manage your money, I'm talking about putting it on autopilot, so you're literally building wealth every single day without even thinking about it. That's what we're going to talk about. Acquiring assets. Okay, some people acquire assets when they're young because they, they get them from family members through an inheritance or there's a driving desire to acquire property, which I know a lot of you here in this group are acquiring property. Um, others acquire assets way later in life. That's totally okay. You can save your way to financial independence. You can earn your way to financial independence and you can acquire assets to get to financial independence. And the one that really has made the biggest difference for me is cultivating an abundant mindset. And these are the practices that you'll be doing during the day, during the week, each month that help you get your mind into a place where your behaviors are good money behaviors. So first of all, what is wealth? Because the full meaning of the word wealth means happiness, state of good fortune, and welfare. So somewhere on the, on the road to when we're talking about money in our culture, we forgot that the full meaning of the word wealth includes welfare, and happiness. And the three of them work synergistically together. So when you improve your happiness, you also improve your physical health. And when you improve your good fortune or your money, you have the ability to meet your needs in a better and greater way. And I will say that money, we always ask the question, does money make us happy? 
And the truth is that, yeah, money does make us happy, but only up to a certain point. So Princeton University's Woodrow Wilson School did a study a few years ago to determine if money does make us happy. And what they found is it does up to $75,000 a year, $75,000 US dollars a year. Why? Because money and the need for personal financial security falls at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so once we meet these basic needs, food, water, shelter, air, then we are able to think about, okay, a need for employment, for money, for personal security. Once those needs are met, then we can start meeting needs of deeper relationships and self-actualization and creativity. And so when we don't have personal financial security, you can see how it leads to stress in other areas of our life. So true wealth comes from within. And as we talk about financial capability, having an abundant mindset, and acquiring assets, I want you to keep in mind that we are going to talk about a system for creating wealth. And a lot of us are here, a lot of you are here because we're trying to get to a certain place in life. I would encourage you to think about when you get there, when you've achieved financial success, what is the state of feeling that you have? What does your life actually look like? Because we, when you can start there, this is what is it that you value? What are those things that you need personally in order to be happy? You'll always have wealth. And if you're a fan of Eckhart Tolle or you've read the book, The Power of Now, I want to share a parable that's in this book that talks about where true wealth lies. Because if we're always looking for something outside of ourself, we call it trying to fill a God-shaped hole. So the wealth is truly within, and that's where the abundance mindset and the practices come in. So the parable is a story about a beggar who had been sitting on the side of a road for many, many years. And one day a stranger walks by and the beggar asks, can you spare some change? And he's holding out his baseball cap. And the stranger says, I have nothing to give you. And then the stranger asks the beggar, what is it that you're sitting on? And he says, oh, it's just an old box. I've been sitting on it for 30 years. And the stranger asks, well, have you ever looked inside? And the beggar says, no, why would I do that? And he says, well, just have a look. So he opens the box. And inside the box is, it's filled with gold. And the parable in this story is that true wealth comes from within. And so that's why cultivating an abundant mindset is the key to making the financial capability and acquiring assets work. So just remember that if you're here right now and wealth is what you're on the path for, there are no accidents. What if everything you've done until now is exactly right? Because where you are right now is where you have been. And what you will be is what you do now. So now with the information, you can take a step forward into wealth. And what I (laughs) will say is that all of the work that we're doing here is to create a life where your work supplements you. 
So if we're getting, if we're trying to create a scenario where we're earning more money or creating a business, remember that the point of earning and the point of a business is to fortify you. And so if you always have your best interest, your physical body, your mind, body, soul, and mind with everything that you're doing to earn, spend, give, save money, then you will build wealth. So just remember that the idea is that you want to work in order to live instead of living in order to work. So it's not that you just have to work so hard and save all of your money and then you'll get there. No, there are infinite paths to wealth and you can work smarter or you can work harder or you can do both or you can do one or the other. So I'm just going to take a break here and I see that there are some chats. So I'm going to pause my screen and I'm just going to go into the chat box and see if I've missed anything. All right, good. So wealth is a journey. And I want to reiterate that because it's something that I had to learn early on is that when I learned that I was sick, and not only did I have a lot of debt, but I had an exposure. This is what I call when you have a job that could be unstable, or you have um, health that you need to take care of, or you have five kids instead of one, or you own a lot of toys. These are all exposures. And so in personal finance and in building wealth, you want to insulate against your exposures. And for me, knowing that taking care of my health was something that I was going to need to make a priority in my life. I got this lesson early on that taking care of my mind and fortifying my mind was going to be a really important component of my journey to building wealth. And when I finally decided to get serious about building wealth, it was at a time in my life I had gotten married. I was still working in real estate. And as I said earlier, all the money that was in my accounts was leaving it just as fast as it was coming in because I was living paycheck to paycheck. Even though I was a six-figure earner, I didn't have any money to show for how hard I was working. And the reason is because I hadn't ever actually written down how much debt I had, how much money was coming into my accounts every month, and how much money was leaving my accounts every month. I call it mental accounting. So if any of you are doing mental accounting, stop (laughs) and write it down. It's the most important thing you can do. Because when I finally did figure out how much debt I had, I had $67,000 in credit card debt just credit card debt alone. So what did I do? I got on the phone to my financial advisor and I asked him for help. And he asked me how much more money I wanted to invest each month. And to that, I responded, I didn't have any money to invest. That was the point. And that's when I realized that building wealth is something that isn't just taught in school and everyone knows how to do it, but it is really simple. And so from there, I read every single personal finance book I could. I went back to my roots and studying business in college and working in real estate and working in corporate finance. And I applied everything that I knew about investing and business and entrepreneurship to my personal finances. And three years later, I was totally debt-free. 
And shortly after that, I had money in the bank and I didn't stop there. And so that's the system that I'm going to teach you right now. So I eliminated $67,000 in credit card debt in my 20s. And then I became financially independent in my 30s using the system that I'm going to teach you right now. So, and it starts with financial capability. Okay. So financial capability is the knowledge of how to best manage your money and the willingness and the means to do so. So there are people in the world and in the United States who are what we call unbanked or underbanked, which means they don't even have access to the accounts that they need in order to build wealth. And not only that, but understanding all of the thing, all of the components of financial capability, the debt, spending, credit cards, budgeting, banking, loans, retirement, savings, these are all components of financial capability. And where do we learn about it? Probably blogs or some amazing blogs now dedicated to personal finance and podcasts. So all of the information is out there and it's just a matter of if you want to learn about it and then implementing a system in your life. So I grabbed this flyer from FINRA, which is the Investor Education Foundation, and they do a financial capability study every few years. And the most recent financial capability study was done in 2018, and they just published the results and put them all together in in June of, of last year. And what I think is really interesting to know is that even before COVID-19, so what, what you're learning today in, in this slideshow is more applicable today than it was even before COVID-19, but it is so important to acknowledge what is actually happening in our economy because it's not enough anymore just to, unless you want to save your way to financial independence, just to have a job and work your whole life and hope and pray that you're going to have enough money that you can stop working when you're 65. Things are just different now than they were when our parents were our age. And in, and even before that, the economy is totally different and we have to acknowledge it because we have to step into, if we want to build wealth, then we have to start taking the actions that build wealth and just working and saving a little bit. If you can, isn't going to get you there. And we know that because we know that the, the financial capability gaps are widening. We know that people who are younger are struggling financially. We know that half of Americans haven't set aside enough money to cover three months of essential expenses. So we know that Americans aren't saving. We know that Americans are in debt. Eight in 10 Americans have some kind of debt and 37% feel like they have too much debt. That says stress, right? And so we want to get out of this state of feeling like it's not possible to create wealth because it is, it's just a matter of getting the information that you need in order to build the wealth. So what is the system? Okay. So what is the system that I keep talking about? It starts with the golden rules of money. And the first one is earn more than you spend. 
Okay, so this is where you want to get out a pen and paper because I'm going to go really fast and just give you a whole bunch of hopefully value bombs that you can just write down. And if you just take one away or two or maybe three, you will be on the step, the path to building wealth. So there are three golden rules of money. And if you follow them, you will build wealth. Okay, this is the foundation, the framework of the system. I know it seems intuitive and obvious to earn more than you spend, but a lot of people don't track where their money is going. So if you're not tracking where your money is going, start doing it right now. And there are two things that I want you to do. Number one, write down every single thing you spend money on for 90 days. Every single thing you spend money on for 90 days. because. I find that people are really surprised to see how much money they're spending on fees. Like I had a a client the other day who had over $400 regularly in fees in her checking account. Okay. Food is another one. I I had someone um, who was spending $1,400 a month on food, just paying, you know, a lot of it is convenience fees, right? So you're, picking food up at restaurants or paying for um, Instacart or Uber Eats and all of those little convenience fees start to add up. I just was reading a Cliff Notes version of um, Titans of the Industry, the book about um, John Rockefeller. And he, he was the first billionaire in the United States. And even he counted his pennies and his change. So, and there is a saying that if you mind your pennies, the pounds will take care of themselves. So watching the little amounts of money and where you're leaking money can add up to huge amounts of money in the future. And we all know what compound interest is. Okay. You earn money on money that you already earned and it just compounds every single month. And the last say 10 years of compounding are the most powerful. Einstein called compound interest the eighth wonder of the world. So that's why you want to, once you put money in a savings account, don't ever take it out, leave it there, let it earn for you. So write down all of your expenses for 90 days, write it on a piece of paper. Um, You can look at your checking account statements and look at your credit card statements, but only if you streamlined it and it's really easy to see where all of your money is going and categorize it. Okay. What did you spend on food? What did you spend on housing? What did you spend on utilities, entertainment, personal, et cetera? Because building wealth is all about trade-offs. I believe that you can have everything. Maybe you can't have everything right now. But think about if you spend a little bit less money in one category, where can you increase your spending in another category to get you where it is that you want to go? And the next thing is if you haven't already, get a spend tracker. There are a ton of free apps that you can download to track where all of your money is going. So mint.com, Clarity Money, Well Wallet, YNAB, you need a budget. And by the way, I'm gonna share with all of you a, um, a PDF that will, everything that I'm talking about, all of these spend trackers and tools that you can use to build wealth will all be in that. So it's financial impact dot com slash start. And so once you get that, 
um, PDF. It will help you identify your impact factor. And then you can just follow all of the steps that I'm giving you in this slideshow to get on your path to wealth. So just know financialimpact.com slash start. I'll have all of the tools and the resources that I'm talking about in there. So get a spend tracker. And the way it works is you'll, you'll put your logins to your credit cards, your bank accounts, your retirement accounts, your loans, et cetera. And all of your transactions will be in one place, which is amazing so that you can track how you're doing with your money every single month. So golden rule number one, earn more than you spend. Number two is give every dollar a purpose. What that means is know how much money is coming into your accounts and earmark that money for something. Because if you don't have a plan for where your money is going to go, it's going to go away. That's just what happens. We live in a world where we know how to train the brain to say yes. And there is a lot of noise in the world. And most of it is steered toward getting you to say yes. And I want you to say no. Because when you say no to all of the noise, the TV, the radio, the ads on Facebook, the ads in your inbox, the one click with Amazon, all of it, you're saying yes to yourself because taking care of your money is a way of taking care of yourself. And I do believe that how we relate to and interact with money is a reflection of how we feel on the inside. So if we're, if we're afraid to look at our money, then maybe there's something inside that we're afraid to look at as well. Okay, so going back to the golden rules of money, because we're going to come back to this, is your relationship with money is so powerful. Uh, and we are going to talk about that. But the second golden rule of money is to give every single dollar a purpose and put it to work. Are you having a money date with yourself every month? So when I say, are you having a money date? I mean, every single month, are you looking at where your money went, what you projected for your money to go, where you projected it to go and did it actually go there? Are you looking at how much you spent in each of the different categories? If there are places that you can do better or improve the next month, because if you plan nothing, then you will go nowhere. So if you know that you're trying to get to financial independence at age 50, then you need to know what your number is. And we're going to talk about what your numbers are here in a minute. And finally, pay yourself first. When you make money, a portion of that should be earmarked for you, preferably 20%. Okay. So for every dollar you make, 20% goes into your asset. Okay. When I say assets, I just mean your accounts that have money in them, your retirement accounts, your investment accounts, your savings accounts. Okay. That's where you want to put your money into those assets so that it stays there. Okay. So let's talk about what order is important to build these assets in and how much. Okay. Know your numbers. What are the numbers that you need to know? So 
when I was starting out building financial independence, I didn't know that I was on the track for financial independence. I just knew that I wanted to be free. I knew that I didn't want to have to work 70 hours a week. I knew that I didn't want to have to ask for permission to go on vacation. And I knew that when I worked, that I wanted to do something that I really enjoyed. So I wanted the freedom to do all of this. And so I'm a numbers person. And so I just put some numbers together. The first number that I used to get to financial independence and to eliminate my debt and also to build my savings was my impact factor. Okay. What is your impact factor? This is the money that you have left over after you pay your bills. That's it. So at the end of the month, when you subtract your expenses from your income, whatever money is left over, you're putting to its highest and best use every single month on autopilot. Every single month on autopilot. So maybe it's $200. Maybe your impact factor is $200. And before, when you weren't looking at your money, you were probably spending it on, who knows? It could be food. It could be clothing. It could be entertainment. It could be personal shopping. It could, I mean, who knows what it could be? It could be money just sitting in your Venmo account or your PayPal account. This number is what is going to transform your debt into wealth. It's what's going to build your lighthouse savings account. This is where you put three to six months of essential expenses. This is the money that's going to get you to retirement. And it's the money that's going to get you to financial independence. So I encourage you, if you do nothing besides identify your impact factor and set up an automatic transfer from your personal checking account into, it could be savings, it could be your retirement account, it could be your investment account, whatever it is, I don't care. But what matters is that you are putting your money to its highest and best use. What I love about your impact factor is you can increase it in two ways. You can increase it by increasing your income, which is where things get really exciting. And I know a lot of you are here because you want to increase your income with real estate. And you can also increase your impact factor by reducing your expenses. And a lot of times when, when I'm having clients look at where their money is going right now, yes, you're going to find some places where you can trim. But I also want to ask, what is it that you love to spend money on? What do you love to spend money on? And what if, well, think about what is, what is something that you love to spend money on? Just get something in your head. And now I want you to think about how much you spend on that each month. So how much do you spend on what you love every month? And get a number in your head right now. And once you've done that, now I want you to imagine what would happen if you 4X'd that number. So if every single month you could spend four times the amount on something that you love, how would that change your life? I think it's a really powerful question to ask yourself because once you know where your money is going, 
you can start to tweak it and start to send your money to those places that have more value for you. And this is one of the ways that you start to match your outer experience with the inner experience that you want to have. The next number is your financial independence number. Okay. Your financial independence number, the way to get your financial independence number. So this is the amount of money that you need to have saved and in the bank so that you can stop working. So let me explain. First of all, what is financial independence? Financial independence means that you are able to pay for your expenses with income you receive from sources other than a job, okay? So from sources other than a job. So that could be saving your way there. So in the FIRE movement, financial independence, retire early, there is a savings philosophy of saving 70% of your net income, 70%, okay? Now, I know that that's a big number. And one of the ways the FI movement encourages you to get there, if you want to save your way there, is to eliminate or drastically reduce one or two or all of the top three line items in your budget. And what are the, what are the top three line items? The first one is your house. The second one is your car. And the third one is food. So one of the ways that I was able to reduce one of the biggest line items in my budget back in the day when I was on this path to financial independence without really knowing that that's what I was doing, but just knowing that I needed the help with the cash flow was I had a roommate for 10 years. So I bought this house, I got roommates, one of them stayed for 10 years. And so if you're thinking about monetizing a resource that you have and you have an extra bedroom in your house, this is a great way to get a little bit of extra money flowing into your cash flow. Um, if you have a car, you could sell it and ride a bike. And if you're one of those people who spends a lot of money on food or convenience food, then think about ways that you can reduce what you're spending on food. Okay. So your financial independence number is 25 times your annual expenses. It's 25 times your annual expenses. And so in order to get your FI number, then you'll have to do the exercise again. So you've identified now your impact factor. It's your monthly expenses subtracted from your monthly income. So now add up your monthly expenses for the whole year. So whatever your annual expenses are, multiply it by 25. And that's how much money you need to save in order to be able to live off, we say 4%. 4% is the safe withdrawal rate. So if you have 25 times your annual expenses saved in a combination of say investment accounts and retirement accounts and maybe some savings, then you can withdraw 
4% a year and not have to worry about outliving your money. And I really like to think about financial independence over retirement because I don't think that retirement is a reality for most millennials and Gen Z. Maybe for some Gen X, it's a reality, but the idea that with the cost of living and student loans and household debt being what they are today in 2020, that you know someone would be able to save their way to age 65 with a nest egg that would pay for all of their expenses to me. Um, it just, that doesn't feel like a reality. So I think that there are multiple streams of income and creating different ways of bringing money in to your life. When you get to the point, when you stop working is what's going to be, um, what retirement looks like for our generations. So I see a question impact factor is monthly income minus monthly expenses. Yes, that is correct. All right. So we've talked about your FI numbers. And now the question is, okay, we know what, we know what my impact factor is. I'm, let's say it's 200 bucks a month that I've got to put to its highest and best use. Maybe it's 500 bucks a month. Maybe it's $1,000 a month. Wherever you're starting, just know that it's okay. Okay, because if it's 200 bucks a month, maybe you acquire an asset that bumps up your cash flow or helps you build equity passively. So there are a lot of different things that you can do on the journey to wealth at different points in time, as long as you know that the system is to know how much money you have left over each month and then to put it to its highest and best use. So let's talk about what is the highest and best use of your money every single month. And the answer is that it totally depends on your personal financial situation, okay? Because where you are on the path to wealth is gonna be different than your friend, than your mom, than your neighbor. Some people have debt. Some people have kids. Some people are entrepreneurs. Some people have a job. Some people have careers and they want to continue to climb the ladder and they love what they're doing. Some people are looking for a different job. I mean, we're all in different places when it comes to building wealth. So as long as you know at any point in time, what is the highest and best use of your impact factor each month and you're applying it to, it, to that pillar and you build those pillars one at a time, you're going to reach wealth because you always know where your money needs to go in order to fortify you. What does it mean to be fortified? It means that you have a job. Okay, so the first, the first step to financial wellness is steady income. Okay, so for all of you entrepreneurs out there, and I'm an entrepreneur myself, I know that steady income seems like um, something that, um, can be, can be hard to create or isn't in your life. So if you have unsteady income, but you get it in chunks, then, then finding a way to put a regular amount of money each month into your personal checking account is going to be really important. 
but creating some kind of steady income so that you can pay your essential bills and pay yourself each month. Even if it's a hundred dollars, even if it's $200, it doesn't matter as long as you've opened the channels and you've opened the flow and you've created the priority to every month be funding you. Okay. So the goal is to create your life, not your business or your job, your business, the health of your business and the health of your job is meant to fortify you. So the first pillar of wealth is debt elimination. Why? Because debt is costing you the most money. So if you have high interest rate debt, Okay, I'm going to say that's anything above five or 6% is considered a high interest rate, whether it's your car loan, maybe you have some private student loans that are more than 6%, that's considered high interest. And you want to eliminate that as fast as possible because it's costing you the most money. So if your impact factor is $200 a month, then you can take the full amount of your impact factor and apply it to this first pillar until you're no longer in debt. Okay. And that's what I did when I was eliminating my debt. It took me three years and I was laser beam focused on eliminating my debt. I took my entire impact factor and I threw it at my debt until it was gone. And the way you want to eliminate your debt is to pay the highest interest rate debt off first because that's the one that's costing you the most money and only pay the minimums on all the rest of your loans. So this is how you get the maximum concentrated power of your impact factor when you're eliminating debt. So pay off the highest interest rate loan first, only pay the minimums on the others. And then when you go to the second highest interest rate debt, add what you were putting towards the first one to what you're putting towards the second one and so on and so forth. And that's the way you crush your debt fast. Okay. So once you've eliminated your debt, pillar number two is to save. Okay. And when I say save your money, I'm really saying you need two savings accounts. Okay. One savings account, I call it your mini savings. And you need this mini savings account at your bank where you have your personal checking account and you only want to put 500 to a thousand dollars in this account. Okay. This is the account that you're going to use for overdraft protection. And it's also the account that you're going to use. If you ever have an expense that was unexpected or periodic that you didn't budget for in your monthly cash flow. So anytime you pull money out of your mini savings account, you, replenish it the next month. And so over time, as you start using this system and you start having a money date with yourself every month and looking at where your money is going and looking at your accounts that are growing, your savings account, retirement account, investment accounts growing, you want to make sure that any money that you didn't plan to spend that you account for it. So I just use an Excel spreadsheet and I save an Excel spreadsheet for January money, February money, March money. And every month I, I add up 
what my balances are in each one of my accounts and I update it. So if my savings account went up, if my retirement account went up and I'm watching my net worth go up every single month. And so if I have an expense that I didn't account for, then I'll just add it to, I call it a wealth strategy. I just add it as a line item as an expense. So I can earmark it for next year, knowing that this is an expense that can come up. The second account you need is, I call it a lighthouse savings account, because this is the money that is going to save you if you ever are in a situation where you're not able to earn. And so you'll never, ever have to fall back on debt again if you have a lighthouse savings account. And what you want to put in it is three to six months of essential expenses. And so when you're having that money date with yourself or when you're doing the impact factor exercise and you're actually writing out your expenses, I would encourage you to identify every single expense as a bill, spending, non-essential, and essential. Because your bills are those things that if you're automating and you should definitely be automating, there's no reason to be (laughs) paying your bills at 10 different websites every month or, you know, even using envelopes and stamps and checks um, because time is money. Everything should happen automatically and seamlessly out of your personal checking account using online bill pay. So don't go to 10 different websites and pay it, you know, your, Verizon or Excel and you know your different utilities providers pay it from your personal checking account that's really important and so with your savings account every single month once you're out of debt your impact factor then goes into your lighthouse savings account and this is a savings account that you want to get at a bank that I call an arms reach away Okay. It's an arm's reach away because it's a bank that isn't where your personal checking account is because you want to make it a little bit harder for you to get your money. And you can go to bankrate.com, bankrate.com, and you can look at different savings accounts that you can get that have a high yield. A high yield just means a high interest rate. And you want to get the highest interest rate in the industry on your Lighthouse savings account because it's just going to sit there and earn interest for you forever and ever and ever. And another thing I love about the Lighthouse Savings account is you are never going to need to buy short-term disability insurance so long as you have a Lighthouse Savings Fund because you are self-insured. So in the event that you have to take time off to care for someone that you love, if if they need your help, or if you're not able to work because you're injured, then you know that you have some money to fall back on to pay for your essential expenses while you get back on your feet. And this is really where it starts to get exciting in building wealth because once you are debt-free and you have some money in the bank, this is when you start to ascend Maslow's hierarchy and you are now financially secure. Okay, so this is financial capability. First, eliminate debt. It's the most expensive. Then build savings. Why? Because you're just going to earn compound interest 
so long as you have money sitting in your savings account. You'll never have to go into debt again. You've got money in case you need it. Next is maximize your tax advantaged accounts. Okay, so notice that I'm not saying retirement because there are a lot of tax advantaged accounts and a 401k an IRA individual retirement account, whether you get a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k, these are both tax advantaged accounts. You can get a 529 college savings plan if you want to send your kids to college and do that with tax advantaged money or tax free money. So maximizing your tax advantage accounts is huge because taxes are the biggest expense that we're going to pay for over our whole life. And so all of the money that you save paying taxes is money that you can use in your retirement or you can use to acquire assets. Holly, you got a question in the Q&A around what you're talking about on the different savings accounts. Um, Chastity asked, are you speaking uh, a savings account? Are you speaking to a savings account as an emergency fund? Um, And she asked because she finds it hard to understand the concept of saving while being in debt. Yeah, good question. So, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you follow Dave Ramsey, he'll tell you, you know, build the pillars one at a time. And, you know, I just, I think that if you have debt, you want to eliminate it as fast as possible because it is, it's just costing you a lot of money. But at the same time, life is happening. Okay. So what you could do is yes, your lighthouse savings account, this is your emergency fund. This is where you put three to six months of essential expenses in your lighthouse savings. Your mini savings account is totally different. That is there to protect you in case you overdraft. And it's also there in case you have expenses that you didn't plan for that you need to pay. And you don't want to pull money out of your lighthouse account really ever. You just want that money to sit there and earn for you. But I, I, I like the, the concept of the Pareto principle, which says that it's the 80-20 rule where, you know, they say that 20% of your work has 80% of the results. Um, But this is kind of the inverse of it. So because, you know, as you get older and we have more exposures and money is good, we don't want to just be paying down our debt and have absolutely no savings at all. So you could take 80% of your impact factor and you could throw it at the pillar that you're focused on building right now. So if it's debt elimination, if you know your impact factor is a hundred bucks, $80 is going to debt elimination and $20 is going into your savings accounts. And then once you're done with eliminating your debt, once your savings is fully funded, you don't wanna oversave, okay? Then you wanna focus on maximizing your tax advantaged accounts. For 2020, you can only put $6,000 in your um, individual retirement account, so max those out. And then, you want to invest, but only invest once you have your three pillars, debt elimination, savings, and tax advantage accounts maxed. All right. So I want to leave some time for Q&A at the end. So I want to move on. Um, We're almost here to the end um, and we're going to talk about acquiring assets. But I do want to mention that in the W2 capitalist couple, the piece that I really think is important that a lot of um, entrepreneurs and aspiring real estate investors should understand is this idea of credit and loanability. Okay. 
because in the world of getting money for all of you investors out there, I'm sure you know that it's always easier to get money when you don't need it. Okay. So when you have really good credit, you have some cash in the bank, that's when you look good on paper and that's when you want to apply for loans. Now, loanability, if you're a business owner, the best thing you can do is once you get to that point where your business is making twenty to $50,000 a year, then you want to go from being an LLC to being an S-Corp. Because when you become an S-Corp, you can avoid paying a lot of those self-employment taxes, but you also give yourself a paycheck in this framework. And when you give yourself a, a paycheck, you're more attractive to lenders. So just remember, once you get to that point, you can give yourself a paycheck and make yourself more loanable, which makes it a lot easier to acquire assets. So what are assets? They're things that go up in value, not down. And there are a lot of different assets that you can buy. We all know that property is a huge component of building wealth. Why? Because once you buy a property, you're in the game. You buy a $300,000 house and let's say that it's appreciating on average 3% a year, then you have access to 3% of $300,000, but probably you have a mortgage on it. So you can see how buying property makes your financial picture expand from the moment that you buy a property. And I will say two things about real estate and these two things have been really critical in my own path to financial independence is number one, if you're buying your first property, look at it from an investment standpoint before you look at it as a roof over your head. Now, I know that we all want that roof over our head and it's exciting to buy the first property, but if you can buy a property that can make you money while also providing a roof over your head, that's going to be really powerful for you. We've talked about tax advantaged accounts. These are also assets. Investing in the market. This is the very last component of building wealth. And I always say, if you're not interested in playing the market and choosing stocks, buy low cost index funds and dollar cost average. All that means is that you buy the same dollar amount every single month and you let the market just go up slowly over time, which is what has happened over the past 100 years. And Remember that you are your biggest asset. So your ability to earn is a huge asset. And what it is that you do to earn money is also an asset. So when you're thinking about ways that you can create more money in your life, think about ways that you can create more money on your own. So what are your unique skills? What are your personal interests and what are your current resources and how can you monetize these things right now? Because money is truly infinite. There are so many different ways to make money. And once you tap into your own personal abundance is when you will start to experience that outer abundance in your life. And finally, starting a business. So I always say that it's better to have a hundred. Well, let's put it this way. 
a mentor of mine once said that he would rather own 5% of a hundred businesses as opposed to a hundred percent of one business. Why? Because multiple streams of income are a good thing. So I want to, again, I want to leave some time for questions and I want to wrap up by mentioning that if when you think about money, you have some kind of reaction. So if money were a person, what would it look like? If money was a person, what would it look like? Who would it be? And I think this question can shine some light on what your relationship with money is like. And if you have a good relationship with money, you look at it, you're aware of it, you're managing it, you're maintaining it, then you can create wealth and abundance in your life. So in conclusion, your sweet spot of building wealth is finding the balance between financial capability, acquiring assets, and cultivating an abundant mindset. And I did put together a guide for you. It's at financialimpact.com slash start. And I have a book coming out. If you're interested in reading that book, you can get on the list for the pre-launch. So it's financialimpact.com slash book. And I also put together a guide that will help you right now with your money and your business during COVID-19. So what bills can you pause? Um, how can you get your EIDL loan? How can you get your paycheck protection program? Um, filing for unemployment, what the big lenders are doing. So all of the things that you need to know about your money and your business right now and all of the different hundreds of different programs that are out there to help you right now, just know that you are totally not alone when it comes to going through money and business questions right now with COVID. There's a lot of support. If I can support you right now, please reach out to me. Make sure you get that guide, COVID. Um, and thank you so much for this opportunity, Jay. This has been really great. And um, I'll open it up right now for questions. So uh, there is a question in, uh, in the chat. Uh, but if you guys have any questions, try to use the Q&A button because as people start chatting, we may miss them. So, but I did see this one for, from Pia. Pia Poole, thank you. You've been very active today. So that's awesome to see that. Uh, her question is, when you make more, it's about the LLC swapping to the S-Corp. A uh, question around that. So is when you make more than 20000 you can transform your business from an LLC to an S-Corp, uh, correct? Is that your guidance on that? This is a number that my CPA said between twenty and 50000 is the sweet spot. That's really where you kind of reach that point where you're paying more money in self-employment taxes than you really need to. And it makes sense to become an escort because it is more, you have to, it is more bookkeeping and it is an extra filing. So remember you're paying more to be an escort, but that should offset what you're paying in self-employment taxes. So I wouldn't use 20,000 as a hard number. It's a range. And I would definitely, if you're thinking about becoming an S corp and your, and your business is profitable and making money, talk to your CPA and, um, and don't delay because it's a way to save a lot of money and, um, and also put yourself in a position where you can buy property. I did not know the, the advantage of, of transitioning between that. So I, I learned something, you know, it's funny as there's some more questions that are coming in. You are the third presenter for, for today. Every presenter has talked about mindset 
And it's amazing to hear and something that I didn't have right until recently. I'm still working on it anyway. Um, LaDonna Brown has a question about is an LLC taxed as an S corp or just as an S corp? Is an LLC taxed as an S corp or just an, well, uh, I believe, and I'm not a tax expert. Okay. I have a tax, I have an accountant that does my taxes, but my understanding is that you can set up an S corp. So it flows through just like an LLC. So, you know, an LLC flows through to your personal taxes. You can actually set up an S corp. So it also flows through to your personal taxes. But no, an LLC and an S-Corp, are, they're different. They're very different. With an S-Corp, you get a, a K-1 at the end of the year. And LaDonna, coming up next, uh, Natalie Kaladi is a tax strategist. So well, I'm sure you're going to have a lot of questions. She'll have a lot of answers for you on that. Uh, and then tomorrow, Aaron Young, who is a, a lawyer, will we'll talk about the other side of that. Cause anytime you talk about entity, there's usually one or two things it's, or both things come up. It's a CPA was your lawyer say, right? So, um, OB, I'm going to go with OBG cause I'm going to butcher your last name. Uh, he asked, do you follow the financial independence advice for low cost index funds for investing? Uh, do you diversify? Mm, you know, I just started investing in the market literally, I just started investing in the market. And uh, I do buy a combination of ETFs that are indexed. And um, no, I don't choose stocks. No way. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> uh, too much of a risk? <laughs> I would rather spend my energy on which property I'm going to buy next. There you go. There you go. Uh, Tanya Burke's got an excellent question here. Should you include student loans in the calculation for switching from debt um, elimination to saving slash investing? It depends on what your student loans, you know, what are the rates? If they're under 6%, you know, then you can probably write them out and just make the minimum payments because they're not costing you a lot of money. I mean, they are costing you money, you know, but um, anything less than 6% is just such a low rate that, you know, I, I, I would say it, if you have no savings, get some money in savings, you know, you do want to have some money in savings. That's the point of that mini savings account. You know, if you can get that account up to a thousand dollars and, and start paying off your student loans that, that are above 6%, that's, that's going to be really important. But if it's below 6%, you might be better off just saving your cash right now. I mean, cash is so, so important right now because we have a lot more control over our spending than we do our income right now. Which is scary, right? Um, so uh, Tanya says, yes, it's, it is below 6 or less than 6 So, yeah. Um, one of the things, and um, if you guys have any other questions pop them in there we're a couple minutes away from taking a break and then natalie i see she's already tackling some of the chat uh that's going in but one of the things you said and i am guilty of this and i'm going to admit it uh it, your line about do you have a money date with yourself every month um it's probably pretty shocking that i don't <laughs> and i know this and it's one of those and Back to your point, do uh, track your budget and expenses for 90 days. Track your expenses for 90 days. When we first started doing this, my wife and I did it for a, at least a year. It might have been a year and a half. But we, I drove her bonkers when we did this. But it was, it was a practice. It was a repetition. 
now I know every time we go out to eat, here's, here's about what we can do. Uh, it's almost like clockwork for me, but I know I'm out of practice when it comes to knowing where every dollar goes and having, um, having a destination for every dollar before it just goes somewhere else. Uh, that is something that I'm taking away. I, I, I took two pages of notes while you're talking. <laughs> so I've got a lot of stuff. I, I, I uh, you know, um, I've got a lot of stuff I've got to learn uh, or, or reinvent and get back into good practice. But um, any other questions, you guys pop them in there real quick. We've got about a minute or two left. Uh, speaking of financial independence, you just got back from a, a trip, right? Mm-hmm. So you've had this flexibility, which you were in Argentina for mm-hmm. how long? Nine weeks. Nine weeks. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Annette posts a question. It says, regular savings account don't earn very much savings. Are there any re- other recommendations for making your savings grow faster? That's a great question. Um, you know, and savings rates just came down a little bit. <laughs> I just, I think the easiest way to save is in a high yield savings account that, um, again, you know, go to bankrate.com and look at the savings. You want one that's no fee and FDIC insured. Um, you know, you can do CD laddering, certificate of deposit laddering, but that just means that you get a, a CD that has a, you know, the highest rate for five years and then you get a CD that has the second highest rate for three years and then the third highest rate for two years. And so you always have some money that's maturing and you always have money that's at a little bit higher interest rate, but it's a pain in the butt to manage. And, you know, again, in your lighthouse fund, the money's just going to sit there anyway. And once you, you don't want to max out your savings, you don't want to over save because savings interest is taxable. And again, you don't make a lot of money on your savings earnings. So once you've fully funded your lighthouse savings, that's when you start putting money into your Roth IRA or your individual retirement account. And that's where you can get more bang for your buck. Awesome. Thank you, Annette, for that question and your donation. I saw you donated earlier. Uh, Appreciate that, Annette, as one of our dedicated uh, members of the Mastermind, W2 Capitalist Mastermind. So that's awesome. Uh, Highly involved. She's she's actually my right hand. uh, I can't say man, right hand woman uh, that helps me out when I get in a pinch. So uh, two more questions. Tanya says, uh, is there copies of the handouts available? Are you going to make the presentation available? for people to grab? If so, how can we get them? And then Cindy says, is that a vision board I see in the background? I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is a vision board. Yeah, I'm a big fan of vision boards. Thank you. Um, Are there copies of the handouts? Yeah, Um, if you go to financialimpact.com slash start, then you can get that. I discover your impact factor guide, which is literally all of the steps to building wealth. (laughs) All right, Holly, thank you very much. We are out of time. It is amazing how quickly an hour and 15 minutes goes by. So thank you very much. Welcome back to the U.S. (laughs) Thank you. My pleasure Uh, to be here. Look forward to uh, when your book comes out. Um, Definitely some some awesome stuff and that's going to be in there. And uh, let us know when it comes out, okay? All right, will do. All right.